It's time for you all to wake up and shift your paradigm. This world is the kingdom of darkness and we are living in its last days. It won't be long before the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat and the earth and everything therein shall be burnt up. The Luciferian elite have been setting up the new world order and now they've established the globalist beast system for the rise of that wicked one and revealing of the man of sin who comes after the workings of Satan. Don't take my word for it. Read the Bible and you'll know that perilous times shall come in the last days. And we are in the last days. much that we have been trained to believe in Christianity and in multiple circles of Christendom that comes straight from the teaching notes of the rabbis that are studying Kabbalah. It it, it is just incredible to me to realize and, and, and as a result of study witness just how much how, how much of the Christian sphere has been taken on this tangent that isn't actually rooted in the agenda of Jesus Christ for his body, but it's rooted in this tree and, and trying to get Christians tangled up in it um, and, 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 and understanding that it is the same tree that the Theosophical society is tangled up in, and the Freemasons are tangled up in, and the Illuminati is tangled up in, and the you know uh, Jewish Kabbalists are tangled up in, and the New Agers. It's the same tree, and, that, and can you imagine we're getting some of our doctrine from this tree, right? So, 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 what does that mean? Now, now, here's a little bit of review. You know, the first week I just started talking about this thing. I'm like, look, we're going to expose Kabbalah. I'm going to explain to you that it has produced certain things, and then last week we I, I showed you without uh, any doubt, uh, 100% proved my point that the cosmology of the Bible 
Old and New Testament viewed through the lens of Jesus Christ and the cosmology of Kabbalah are irreconcilable. They do not wed. They go in two different directions at the core. They do not fit. And so any Christian thinking that they're going to dive into Kabbalah in order to get insight into Jesus and a better grasp of spirituality through understanding, you know, what Kabbalah reveals about Hebrew language and other things is deceit. And I proved that to you last week. Now, this week, we are going to continue taking a journey going deeper. Now, again, for those of you that are new, what is Kabbalah? Answer. Kabbalah is the ancient Jewish tradition of mystical interpretation of the Bible, first transmitted orally and using esoteric methods. Kabbalah is an esoteric method, discipline, and school of thought that originates in Judaism. Okay, that's what Kabbalah is. Now, what is the connection to Judaism? Quite simply, stated in their own language, it is uh, not possible to study Kabbalah um, apart from Jewish doctrine. Some Christians think that Judaism is nothing more than a study of the Old Testament, which is false. That's what I used to think. Not true. Uh, Judaism is a study of the Old Testament plus other books like the Babylonian Talmud, the Midrash, and Kabbalah. And uh, they derive their doctrine from a whole host of stuff, meaning that they, they're viewing the Old Testament through the lens of other materials. The the, the Babylonian Talmud is a commentary on Mishnah. The Mishnah is the first major written collection of the Jewish oral traditions known as the oral Torah. Let me explain something to you. When a rabbi says, you need to be a study of Torah because Torah is the law, he is not talking about the first five books of the Bible only. He's talking about the Babylonian Talmud and the first five books of the Bible, and other stuff. Because Torah, for the Jewish mind, is not limited to the first five books of the Bible. So when we go into our Hebrew Roots Christians movement, and we end up saying, look, when Jesus talks about the, the law and following the commandments, we have to go back to the Old Testament and look at what did he say, what did God say in the Torah, and maybe we should learn from our rabbi brethren, you know, how to understand that writing. Well, they're not going to leave you there. They're going to take you into the Babylonian Talmud because in their mind, that is Torah. Okay. We're defining our terms. All right. Um, now, the Babylonian Talmud is the first major work of uh, rabbinic literature. And when it comes to Jewish doctrine, the oral Torah is considered by some to be as divinely inspired as the Old Testament itself. Right. So there you go. Now, what is Kabbalah in light of that? Kabbalah means, by definition, to receive. It is a collection of Jewish esoteric books. Um, esoteric or occult, right? Secret books. Um, the primary texts include the Zohar, the Sefer Yetzirah, that, 
Zohar means basically book of splendor. The Sefer Yetzirah is the book of formation, the book of mysteries, the gate of reincarnations, and three Enoch, not to be confused with one Enoch. Three Enoch is a part of the Kabbalah. And in uh, their own language, Kabbalah is considered to be the soul of Judaism. So Jewish doctrine as it exists today cannot be separated from Kabbalah. You're not going to get Jewish doctrine without getting what's in the Zohar, what's getting in the Sefer Yetzirah, what's in the Book of Mysteries, and the Book of Reincarnations, okay? Because reincarnation is part of the Kabbalah, which is why New Age is part, you know, they, they believe in reincarnation because they're pulling on the same tree that's pulling on a text that teaches reincarnate. Like, do you, do you understand what I'm saying here, right? So it all kind of, woo, right? So um, why are we talking about this? Okay, kind of going through a brief review here. We are spending several weeks investigating Kabbalah because it is not of God. Yet it has influenced major areas of Christendom. And since many believers do not even know what Kabbalah is, they neither know what its beliefs are, nor how to identify where its influence has poisoned the living waters in the body of Christ. And I'm going to say this, okay? This, this is how I look at it, just to kind of put a mental picture in your mind. Using Kabbalah to interpret the Old Testament as the written word of God is kind of like using the Book of Mormon to interpret the New Testament. <laughs> it's a different religion, okay? Irreconcilable. You cannot reconcile the Book of Mormon to the revelation of Jesus Christ as it is posed in the New Testament. You're going to take a sharp left and then a detour, and you're going to wind up at a different destination. And that's the same thing with Kabbalah. You're going to take a sharp left, you're going to take a detour, and you're going to end up at a different destination. But as Christians, we know that there are some problems with Mormonism. I mean, we know that. We're like, oh, yeah, that's the, <laughs> the Church of Latter-day Saints. That's a different religion. That's a different church. But what we don't know in Christianity is that Kabbalah is a different religion. So we think that when these Jewish rabbis come and say, let, let us teach you the Hebrew roots of your faith, we need to sign up. And a lot of you guys that have watched me have signed up. And there's a lot of so-called Christian mystics and people that I'm getting associated with that have signed up and are now teaching you what they teach as if it can be reconciled with Christianity, which it cannot. So there are people that are deceived, both leaders and followers. And I'm looking at this thing like, oh my goodness, what's going on here? So we're exposing Right. And, and I, I love people. Right. And I love leaders and I love people that are genuine. And I know that genuine leaders, sometimes they they just get it wrong. And when truth comes, they repent and everybody course corrects. Right. That's why I don't attack people by name. I just teach truth. I'm not a I'm not, a, I'm not a, like a blame game name guy. Like that's not my thing. I'm. <laughs> It just, it just works better if we just understand what the truth is and then sort it out. Now, 
moving on from that, it is necessary for us to realize that Kabbalah is a source of revelation for students of the deep occult. Okay? It, that they, they are drinking from that cesspool. Okay? Uh, Kabbalah teaches an esoteric template for man and creation known as the Kabbalah tree. Thus, we are going to learn why Kabbalah at its core is a doctrine of demons and a revealing of the government of Lucifer. That's why we're talking about it in church. Now, uh, this is some more review for you, but I am going to give you a list of names, again, of famous students of Kabbalah. I've made this list two weeks now. I'm going to make it one more time. Eliphas Levi. He led the occult revival of the 1800s, revived Satanism and Luciferianism, wrote many books on ritual magic, <laughs> and how to have contact with demonic spirits. McGregor Mathers, uh, and I'm putting this in the chat for you guys. McGregor Mathers. Um, he is one of the three founders of the Order of the Golden Dawn, right? Why would the founder of the Order of the Golden Dawn be studying Kabbalah? Yeah, answer, because that system of magic helped him and his friends to derive rituals okay and programming techniques for their children and victims in order to do their magical workings that's their source right um he he mentored alistair crowley mcgregor mathers think about that okay but the, what kind of a mind does it take to mentor one of the greatest occultists of like the millennia Alistair Crowley, okay. H.P. Uh, Blavatsky. She, um, she was a Kabbalist. She uh, worked with the Theosophical Society. She um, <laughs> formed the Theosophical Society. And uh, my gosh, she is a dark, dark, dark figure. You can look her up. Uh, A.E. Waite. Uh, he wrote a lot of occult texts and books, right? Another student of Kabbalah, Manly P. Hall, 32nd degree Freemason, wrote um, a book called The Secret Magic of Kabbalah. <laughs> Why are the Freemasons interested in Kabbalah? <laughs> because a lot of their degrees and initiations are derived from Kabbalah. When the in Illuminati infiltrated Freemasonry hundreds of years ago, and built in all of these degrees, the, the, the Illuminati degrees, going up and then past 33. Uh, the, a lot of these degrees are based on Kabbalah. <laughs> okay? And so, so they become students of this thing. Albert Pike. He wrote the book Morals and Dogma. Also a student of Kabbalah. Freemason. Famous, famous. Right? All these guys. This is, this is a bad group, right? So, so you just imagine... Uh, Jesus sitting there and thinking, wow, this is a really good idea. I bet it would be great for all of my children to become students of the book that produced all of these people so they can learn about their Hebrew roots and Torah. Okay, that, do, do you see where I'm going with this, right? Okay, now, moving on. Why do we need to avoid Kabbalah? Okay, I have two scriptures for you. Why do we need to avoid Kabbalah? 
Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 14. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. Okay, the oral Torah is a collection of commandments of men. Okay, let me just put that out there, right? That's part of what Jesus was repeatedly rebuking was this yoke that the Pharisees had put on the necks of his children that they could not bear. He gave them the written Torah. They came up with all this other stuff. So, you know, uh, there is something known as Jewish fables. And I told you that the cosmology of Kabbalah is a Jewish fable. Because when we talk about Genesis 1-1, which we did last week, what we learn is that they're really writing the whole history. Now, instead of God creating the heavens and the earth, we have wisdom and uh, 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 the crown. Keter and Chokma working together with Ein Sof to create Elohim. Okay, totally different story. Now, uh, another verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. In other words, I'm afraid that if someone comes to you and says, hey, would you like to learn the Hebrew roots as taught by a Kabbalist student, you will say yes. And descend into Metatron's cube and say, oh, this is a great thing. I love the cube. Okay. We're going to get to Metatron's cube again this week. It's just like this nonsense. All right. It's nonsense. Um, now, next point. What is the Kabbalistic tree of life? Okay. Mention this term. Now, uh, this is why I really appreciate this teaching platform, which is Zoom, because Zoom allows me to do visuals, and, and we're going to be doing some visuals. So the Zohar goes into great deal on the 10 Sephirot and the creation story they reveal. This is illustrated as a diagram, which is called the Kabbalistic Tree of Life. I call it the Tree of the Knowledge of Good and Evil, Okay. It functions as a creation myth and a counterfeit creative template explaining the nature of creation and the template for the design of man. And it is also a programming template for satanic ritual abuse. So we're going to take a look. Now we got a new graphic from our graphics person. So um, you will get to see uh, a much uh, more much fancier version of the tree here but taking a look at it which you will see is that we have a tree that aligns with the human body there are two pillars on the right and on the left the, those are 
Jachin, and Boaz, the pillar of mercy and the pillar of severity. This tree, Keter, Chokma, Bina, Chesed, Gevora, Tifret, Netzach, Had, Yesad, Malkut, they form a creation story that we started going through last week and will continue going through this week at the same time. They simultaneously explain the design of the human vessel. And um, each point has a lot of meaning. As you can see from this table we have here, uh, you have what are known as four worlds associated with each of these points. We'll get into this a little bit later to help you understand some of this stuff. But in, in, in essence, you have that they, each point represents an archetypal world, which associates with the name of God, a creative world, which associates with an archangel, a formative world, which associates with angelic orders, and a material world, which associates with planetary forces, which is how you end up tying in Kabbalah, to all kinds of um, orders of beings in the heavens, as well as planets and astrological alignments and astrology and so forth. And so um, this is the Kabbalah tree. This is the one that we were looking at last week, which is a very, very simplified version that I made that's really easy for um, explaining things. So. With that said, what is the Kabbalah creation myth? And this is where we left off last week. I'm going to go through it again because I find that whenever you're teaching a new concept, right? A lot of you, you guys are just now, because you're listening to me, learning what Kabbalah is, what it means, what it teaches, what, it, what the tree looks like. Uh, if I say something once, it kind of lands, but then it's like out. And it's like, wait a minute. So I have to, you know, I'm doing a lot of repetition for this teaching series. So what is the Kabbalah creation myth? Last week, we began to learn about the Kabbalah creation myth and how they write Jesus, who is the word right out of Genesis chapter 1. This comes out as we work our way through the Sephirah. The Sephirot are the points that I showed you. Keter, Bina, Chok, those are all called Sephirot. And this week, we're going to continue going through those Sephiroth because we got through points one and two last week. Now, going back over points one and two briefly, it all begins with Ein Sof. Kabbalah teaches that God always existed and that in his ultimate essence, uh, he is all things, all space, all time, all consciousness, all things that are opposite these elements. In his ultimate essence, they believe that God is unknowable and the ultimate essence of God is called Ein Sof or Ein Sof Ayer. This term essentially means limitless from nothing or limitless light from nothing. And um, I am going to pull this up just to show you this again, and then we'll continue our conversation, right? So in this tree, um, you see right here that Ein Sof Ayer is the limitless light from nothing that the tree begins at. And so essentially what they say is God, who is completely unknowable, which I explained to you last week why I disagree, since Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So the whole agenda of God is for us to completely know him. Um, this unknowable God creates a void in himself 
for the creation. So it's he's light everywhere, and then he just opens up this void at a point in himself called desire. And into that void, he injects light. So there's light everywhere, then a void, and then that void gets this light injected into it. And that light begins to move through a series of filters as it like downgrades, almost like a uh, transformer will allow for power to be stepped down incrementally so you don't blow up your hair dryer when you plug it into the wall, right? There's these series of filters that happen as you move down through the sephirotes from the keter, which is the crown, to the base, which is Malkut. All right, now um, I do encourage you, if you did not hear last week's teaching, to go through it because I'm going to run through keter and 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 um, chokma pretty fast, and that is a source of huge, huge revelation when it comes to understanding why this tree is bad news. Now, keter means crown. It is considered in their belief system to be the primordial essence of which all uh, um, of all things to come. Okay, so the first emanation of light that enters into this void in their creation story is called Keter or crown, and it is associated with will. They say that the first act of God's light in coming in is the will of God to create. Now, I happen to believe that the revelation of Jesus Christ is that God is love, and the first driving motivator of God to create you and me and everything else in the creation is love, but they say it's will. Why? Because Lucifer said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And what happened? He got thrown out of heaven. So it, it, it's a bit of a reveal as to the source of this whole doctrine. Okay. But, but they say God's first motivation is will. And so from nothingness, the first thing that God wills to create is, is, is now being brought in. We have Keter, which is the crown, and so it's called um, Adam Cadman. Now, in their belief system, Adam Cadman, which they abbreviate in their writings to AK, is a primordial man. He, he contains a pattern for the creation as well as the pattern for humankind. He's not Adam that was in the Garden of Eden. He is the primordial pattern of the universe, okay? And so he's, he, he, Adam Cadman is almost like a, a concept. Now, this is the crown, right? And as we move through their creation fiction, right? And take a look at this picture again, just to get this through your head. As they move through their creation fiction, what we find is that, uh, and let me pull up a pen here. And from the Ein Sof, we start at Keter, which is the crown or AK, and then we go to Chokma. That's one and that's two. So Keter means crown, Chokma means wisdom. At Chokma in their belief system, it is considered the first male sephirot, okay? So, in other words, they put men on this side of the tree and women, or the female, on this side of the tree. 
This side of the tree is called mercy. Really nice if you're a man. Uh, this kind of the tree is called severity. Terrible if you're a woman. I actually find <laughs> Kabbalah to be a bit sexist, <laughs> if I can say it plainly. Um, and, and as I've learned what the points mean and how they function in both the creation and the human design and so forth, I, I, I just marvel at the whole thing. But um, nonetheless, this chokma means wisdom. And Kabbalah teaches that with chokma, Keter, or Adam Kedman, creates Elohim in Genesis chapter 1. And therefore, their whole creation account is completely different from our version of the Bible, which says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, this is about where we left off last week. Now, this week, I'm going to continue walking us through the rest of these points. And I'm going to show you some shocking things that I believe, when we just are quite honest with ourselves, we will realize that this is absolutely irreconcilable with the revelation of the Word of God through the lens of Jesus Christ. So moving from this, um, this chokma, we, we, we land at Bina. Okay, so what, what happens is we travel this path and the light moves from the male side of the tree to the female side of the tree. And they basically teach that as Chokma receives the light from Keter, Bina receives the light from Chokma as an intuitive insight. In other words, Bina dwells on that light like a mother who receives seed from a father. Bina is essentially getting cosmically impregnated by the light coming through Chokma. And I want you to remember that the pathways through these points in their belief system are like filters, light coming through filters. And this I, I just grabbed from um, Zohar by Rabbi Michael Leitman. This figure is actually in there. So it helps to explain. The light that comes in is passing through a series of filters getting filtered down. So that's what we're looking at as I'm pointing it out. We're going from Keter to Chokma to Bina. Light is going through these filters. So the light is going like this across the tree. So this light goes from Chokma to Bina. And it's kind of like a mother incubating a child in her womb until the time of birth arrives. So Chokma is the first male sephirot. Bina is the first female. Bina becomes the highest sephirot in the pillar known as severity on the feminine side of the tree. And in Kabbalah, Chokma is called Abba and Bina is called Ima, father and mother, right? So th this is the teaching. They, they engage in a type of cosmic <laughs> sex. And then the rest of the tree is birthed from this highest triad. So the triad is three, Keter, Bina, and Chokma, and everything else 
descends from this tree, what they would say, all of the lower worlds. So they would also say that Bina is synonymous with consciousness. All right. Now, moving into the next part of the tree, it gets really interesting because in Kabbalah, they actually take the next six points, which is really seven, and they look at it as, as, as one. And so here in, in, in this picture, you'll actually see this term Z-A. And then you'll see Malkut at the bottom. It's, it's really interesting, right? So what does Z-A mean? Z-A is uh, Zaire and Pin. And it includes all six of these gray, in this picture, sephirots, and truly it tops off with the hidden sephirot known as da'at. Um, now, at the center of the six sephirots, you know, Gevoret, said Tifret, Had, Yesud, Nexak, you find Tifret, which is the six sephirot. It is said to be the heart and becomes a really, really important concept in a lot of their cosmology as you move forward. Now, remember, the number of man is six. Of course, the number of beasts is six, six, six. And so much of their uh, cosmology revolves around the six, six, six in Jewish mysticism. It's crazy. It's all over the place. Um, now. What does the creation story reveal? Well, as this light passes from Bina to Chesed, uh, you see a zigzag. Um, and the zigzag is what they say for the purpose of establishing polarity. In other words, it gives rise to a diverse creation. Now, Chesed actually does mean mercy. It's kind of like Gevora will mean severity. And in their cosmology, they say that chesed is always outgoing. It's like this um, unabated abundance, abundance everywhere, increase, more money, more fun, more pleasure, more, 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 more. Uh, it's without limitation. And since there is no boundary, they say you can't have a world based on only chesed. So you have to have its counterpart, Givora. So it's an opposite. If you only have abundance, then the world falls into chaos. So then you bring in Givora, which is severity or restriction. And they say, look, uh, we move back to the female side of the tree. We get a contraction on the male abundance. So, so the females contract that. <laughs> they pull it in. They rein that thing in, and um, they limit it, which, which is why I, yeah, some of the most creative people I've ever met are female. So, but, you know, anyway, this is their belief system. So, Gavora defines limits. Gavora becomes a source of judgment, and it gives forth whatever is deserved. So, Gavora and her said are said to work together, and then they balance Typhret. Right, So we're just going through their cosmology. I'm really not going to take a lot of time on this because this is what you're, you know. I want you to know what goes underneath what you're not told 
when you are told surface stuff that's pointing you towards this belief system. This is what's underneath it. Uh, we, we get bait like, okay, you need to support political Zionism. Well, what's underneath political Zionism, right? Well, you're going to run straight into Kabbalah and Zohar and the belief system in this thing that's going to help us to get to political Zionism, right? Um, same thing with uh, some, some of the... And, I hate to say it, but, you know, dispensational theology, Schofield Bible, Hebrew roots, and Christian mysticism. It's like underneath these uh, meditative techniques for going deeper into the spirit. Like, what do you find? This tree and this cosmology. But they don't teach this to you. You're not supposed to know this. You're supposed to fall for the bait. And once you're snared and you're in the occult side and you're going through the wrong door that's why we talked so long about going through the right door the door of jesus right because we don't want to go through a different door this whole tree is designed to be a series of doors that will unlock you into the spirit realms through illegitimate access points okay jewish mysticism is highly effective when it comes to getting yourself into the second heavens i will say that very very plainly it is it works it's effective and it'll get you there. And um, it's not the way that Jesus wants us to be engaging the spirit world, plain and simple. Now, that's why we're talking about it, right? But this is their belief system. So Typhret, what does this mean? So this Sephirot is called the heart. And it serves as a revealing of God to his creation in time and space. It's a... Um, a balance created by the proper tension between mercy and severity, right? So uh, they say, look, limitless expansion and limits with discipline. That, that, that's the balance between mercy and severity. So they call Typhret justice. And it exists at the center of ZA, Zir and Pin, which I explained to you already are the whole of those six sephirots in the midst of the tree. So they call Typhret the heart of the universe. And so in Kabbalah, they teach the idea that justice is the heart of the universe. Now, they say the manifestation of Typhret is Torah. Okay. Now, remember, we're talking about Jewish mysticism. We're not talking about the first five books of the Bible only. Torah is that and all of their other texts. Okay. Now... Uh, but but they say that Typhret is the manifesta uh, manifested is Torah. And they believe that Torah is a collection of universal laws establishing primordial justice. Now, we really, really have to understand this, right? It is, they, they believe that Torah is a collection of primordial laws or, or uh, establishing primordial justice. And therefore, they have a lot of agenda to push Torah. Push, push, push. Because Kabbalah is completely divorced from the finished work of Jesus Christ. So you cannot, in Kabbalah, have a finished work in Jesus Christ and still push Torah because, because you have a contradiction, right? If Jesus says he came to fulfill the law, then what justification do you have for absolutely 
studying it, right? So, so based on the revelation of Typhret, we see the driving motivation underneath Hebrew roots, which is to turn Christians into Torah followers. But this is agenda associated with Kabbalah revelation. It's not associated with a better understanding of what Jesus was saying in the New Testament. And this is borne out also clearly in the book of Galatians by Paul. And this is why in Hebrew roots, they practically throw out the entire book of Galatians because it cannot reconcile. But Kabbalah and Jewish mysticism and the whole agenda behind it does not reconcile with Christianity. So there you go. But all right. So, so let me slow it down. I'm going to say this again. I'm going to say it slower. Maybe it'll make more sense the second time. In Kabbalah, following Torah brings the Jew into alignment with the universal force and balance of justice. Okay? That's why they follow Torah. Because, because they believe that, and, and I'll get to this when I get to Malkut, from Malkut or the 10th world, which is the kingdom, all the other worlds are going to be brought back into an alignment. And so we need to follow Torah in order to establish this alignment. And many, many people need to follow Torah in order to establish an alignment capable of bringing in their Messiah. See, the Jewish messianic agenda is centered around getting as many people to follow Torah or the Noahide laws, which is Torah for Gentiles, as possible. That's their agenda. And you need to understand this. And it's based on their revelation of the tree <laughs> and the sephirot and what they mean. So they're trying to evangelize the world into their version of Torah. That is the first five books of the Bible plus the Old Testament interpreted through the lens of the Babylonian Talmud and the Kabbalah. This is to bring about a type of global activation into cosmic alignment to bring in their Messiah and final redemption. All right. Now, we have what's called a triad up here. This is the first triad. This is a second triad. They have a, uh, a name for this triad. It is called Hagat. Now, I'm going to give you a quote. This quote comes from um, Rabbi Eliyahu of Vilna. You got to read this. You got to read this, okay? I'm not making this stuff up. It says, the final redemption will only come as a result of Torah study, chiefly the study of Kabbalah. That's what they believe. That's what they believe. And again, I marvel because, you know, I, I, I've watched some of these back to Torah Christian groups with a pit in my stomach because I know that they think they're right. And, and many people are well-intentioned that are aligning with them. But the longer people align with back to Torah, the less and less relevant the finished work of Jesus Christ becomes to them. And at the end of this whole thing, men are getting circumcised at the age of 35. And Christians are wearing tzitzits and growing beards, not because they think it's, you know, a good look. 
because they think it's somehow going to bring them closer to God. Where does that doctrine come from? Does it come from the Bible which says that Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law? Or does it come from Kabbalah which says that Typhret is justice and it is manifested through Torah and that only through alignment with Torah will we bring cosmic alignment so we can bring in a Messiah? Hmm. Hmm. Now, moving on. Netzach. Netzach. So we're going to come back to this picture and continue talking through this. So now we move into Netzach. Uh, let me draw. This is point number seven. Netzach comes about this way. In order to embody justice, judgments must be executed, right? This is the logic. Now, light passes back to the right side of the column, male side, mercy. And we land at Netzach, which means victory, okay? It is an outgoing force that conquests in order to bring order and organization from expansion. So what they believe is that Netzach has a desire to dominate for the sake of establishing good. It comes from Typhret because justice wants to have order and proper order is an act of mercy. There's your logic. Therefore, Netzach is on the right side of the tree. So Netzach becomes um, in their cosmology, like the man who goes out, who's very creative, you know, he's strong, he sets his hand to the plow, he builds things, he conquests, and he gathers uh, from the fruits of his labor. And then he turns over all that he has gathered into Had. Thank you, Had. Now, Had is on the pillar of severity, meaning she's female, <laughs> and she's like the wife. So they say, look, as light passes from Netzach, it moves to its opposite on the left side of the tree. Had means glory. Um, but of course, how do you balance glory on the severity side of the tree? Well, the logic goes something like this. Um, Had uh, brings home the benefits of what has been conquered or achieved. Okay, so this is the man who does all this work and then comes home and gives his wife his paycheck, right? So Had collects <laughs> the benefits from conquests for its personal good. So you go and you work for the corporate good of everyone that you are now subduing, and I will collect from all of your hard work for my good, says Had. <laughs> um, so, so, so Had constricts and confines the expansive agenda and spoils of victory. And, and it's found on the feminine pillar. And so uh, it's said the justice of Typhret is executed through Netzach and Had becomes the beneficiary. Then Kabbalah, you know, will say, look, when you look at this as a husband and wife, Had, she's the wife who benefits from the energy and exploits of the man. She builds a home and bears him children, right? So there's a balance. And once you have a balance between Netzach and Had, man's working, wife's taking his stuff and bearing him children, 
Now we get to Yasad, Yased, and that is point number nine. That's the achievement of balance. And this is called foundation. It's the foundation of the Kabbalah tree. It denotes creative energy. So when the tree is overlaid on the human body, they put it right on top of the genitals. It's associated with libido, which drives both creativity and creation. Now, uh, some of you that are sitting here listening to me have had many rituals done on your genitals, okay? And all kinds of occult activations happen here. It's a big deal. Now, interestingly enough, Yased also refers to righteousness in their cosmology, or Sadiq, Sadiq. And in Kabbalah, only when all the spheres or the sephirot are in balance can one come to behave in the right manner. That's what they say, right? One must have right actions before God to be called righteous. So the person who embodies Yasad will think and act the right way according to Torah to, and, and bring others to the righteous way as well. So in other words, we're, we're right back at righteousness through works. Righteousness to earth. You know, the Bible says there's no one righteous, no, not one. The Bible says all have come short and of the glory of God. All, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The, the Bible is very clear that though by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So there's no question about it. In New Testament Christianity, Jesus establishes our righteousness through his finished work and his sacrifice. But in Kabbalah, you have to follow Torah because you have to establish your own righteousness. And this is why Hebrew roots is so confusing to people because when people go back to this thing where it's like, all right, I'm going to become a Torah following Christian. Now your ability to be a good Christian is again measured by the amount or the percentage of Torah that you are actually following because that establishes righteousness in their belief system. So you're it's like, you know, this is the perversion from the simplicity that is found in Christ that Paul warns about. In any case, now you see where some of this stuff that has infected Christianity and the Christian landscape we're all navigating now is coming from. It's coming from this guy right here. You're looking at it. This is where the belief comes from, not from New Testament Christianity. Now, this all leads to Malkut, which is the 10th point. Malkut is the physical world, okay? Um, it's the final stage in their belief system of the creation and completes the filling of the void that was established in Ein Sof. So Malkut means kingdom and the physical world and all of the other sephirots exist in the spiritual world. So back here, we find this. This is the physical, and this is the spiritual. Okay? So, Malkut becomes different from all of the other points, because everything else is underlying the physical creation. Okay? And uh, this is why Malkut is so unique. One, 
the laws governing Malkut differ from the laws governing the rest of the Sephirots. Um, Malkut basically is a place where interaction occurs between things that are maintaining great deals of opposing natures. Um, in the higher areas of the tree and the spirit, they, they say that, uh, you know, things will have a proximity, right? Fear and love are going to be far, far, far apart in the spirit world because they don't have anything to do one with the other. But in Malkut, it's very unique because in this physical world, you can have a person that is absolutely filled with fear sitting right next to and rubbing shoulders physically with a person who is operating in an abundance of love. So the proximity that governs some of the laws of the higher realms of the spirit are all uh, thrown out the window in Malkut. So um, Malkut is looked at in their cosmology as being capable of uniting all the worlds. So in, in, in their version of this whole thing, the purpose of creation must be brought to actuality in the Sephiroth of Malkut. Although in Keter and Chokma, all realms are united as an expression of potential, right? So they want to do things down here that will allow for their Messiah to come in and reign from physical Jerusalem. And that is in keeping with the agenda to bring alignment and um, correction to the rest of the tree and the rest of the creation. So in Malkut, one of the agendas is to bring about a whole lot of Torah study in the age where Jesus Christ has already fulfilled the law. Anyway, one last point. What the heck is going on with Da'at? Now I'm going to get the red pen for this one. All right. I'm going to get the red pen for this one because you need to see this. Now Da'at is not part of the flow of light when we consider the 10 sephirots that are taught. Right. So I just taught you their cosmology in a nutshell. Of course, you can go deeper and deeper and deeper. And I'm not, I don't care. We, this is just a foundation for you to kind of have a context for other stuff we're going to be talking about in weeks to come. All right. So, so, so it's not part of the flow of light that looks like a lightning bolt, right? Because remember, the Bible says in the book of Luke, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning, right? So, <laughs> hmm, you know, I uh, wonder what that is. Okay, anyway, um, Da'at is said to be the hidden sephirot denoting knowledge. It is synonymous with the abyss. It is said that Leviathan, who they call the secret, sacred serpent, the sacred serpent, must restore knowledge to mankind. Therefore, according to Kabbalah, Leviathan becomes a good guy. We also learn why the emblem of the Theosophical Society has a serpent surrounding the star of Remphan, which is Metatron's cube, which is a six-pointed star. So let me just bring this all into... Uh, a, a nice view for you, okay? 
Here we have, oops, I can draw triangles, right? Here we have the star of Ramphan, which they call the star of David. This is the abyss. This is the knowledge that Leviathan will restore to mankind. Here's your six, 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 which is also called a Merkaba, which is a vehicle that you will uh, ascend into in order to cross the abyss into the higher realms of light, right? So we're supposed to learn how to ascend from Malkut into the Merkaba in order to cross the abyss, right, where Leviathan is revealing knowledge into mankind so that we can come to the higher light. And guess what this is called? Metatron's cube, okay? <laughs> what the heck do I need a Metatron's cube for? Now, why do you call that the Metatron cube, Dan Duvall? Answer, because <laughs> this is the cube, okay? It's there, right? And when we look at it with some blue marker, we can see that it, in fact, is a cube within a cube within a cube. There's a cube here, too, right here in the middle. You see that? That's why it's called a cube, even though it's inside of the six-pointed star. I don't know how much clearer to make this. If someone comes to me and says, Dan Duvall, would you like to come to my Ascension group and go inside of this guy so you can get to illumination, I'm going to give them a swift rebuke and show them the evidence. This is the emblem for the Theosophical Society. What do you think they're telling you here? Let me explain. The eternal serpent or the sacred serpent, which is Leviathan, is eating its own tail. There is an egg, which is replication or reincarnation with your swastika on the inside. What is that? Knowledge. Da'at. <laughs> At the top of your star of Remphan. This is this, which is this. It is so wicked and so evil. The next slide, which I should have put up here, but I didn't, would have been the flag for the modern day nation state of political Zionist Israel, which is carrying the same agenda. And are we, are we surprised that the Rothschilds are behind the political state of nation of, of Israel 100%. They brought it about through the Balfour Declaration. And this is why we have to talk about this stuff. It's deep. It's deep. And now you know. You've been listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Be sure to subscribe to our channel, like our video, and share this with friends. This podcast is a production of Bride Ministries International. Visit our website at brideministriesinternational.com to enjoy the Bride Ministries Church. 
the Bride Ministries Institute, free resources, and to support us financially.